Welcome, everybody. This is the Business School podcast, where you learn how the world of business is being redefined. My name is Daryl Pereira, and I'm a senior content strategist here at IBM. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Frank Congio. So, Frank, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you came from. So, there's two ways I can answer that question. Um, if you give me a few minutes, I'll give you both intros, and then I'll tell you why. So, the first intro used to go something like this. So, my name is Frank Congio. Graduated NYU at the top of my class. Uh, since I'm joining the workforce, I've shattered every sales record in every company I've been at. At the age of 21, I bought my first rental property in Greenwich, Connecticut. Went on to buy several homes in Fairfield County, one of the wealthiest counties in, uh, in all of the US. Today, I work with Fortune 500 executives. I'm far younger than many of the executives I coach. Just last week, I had dinner with CEOs, politicians, and a few athletes and all sorts of interesting people. Nice to meet you. Now, I know what you're thinking, jackass. And well, let me tell you something. And that introduction, which is factually true, is the introduction that I would often rush to give in some fashion for most of my early career. And you know, some people might say, why, why would you do that? And, and you know, is it for credibility? Those are the generous people. Others might say, well, because you're a jackass. And, and there's a little less insight there. But in actuality, that, that intro is really given because of deep-rooted insecurities. So there's another introduction that I can give you, which is equally as valid. Um, and I used to be afraid to give, and it goes something more like this. Hi, I'm Frank Kanju. Uh, my family grew up in a, a tiny apartment that was actually a garage to start, and my father had converted it to an apartment. And my dad worked two jobs. Uh, my mother also worked, so she could take care of us. And the rest of the day, she just worked part-time. And the reason my dad worked multiple jobs was that he felt it was really important for us to have a, you know, the opportunity to be in a school in a, in a good town that had a good education uh, because Greenwich schools are among the best. And when my father and my mother got a divorce when I was young, uh, my father even started taking on a weekend job um, and asked me to get a job as well so that he'd be able to buy me a car. And that's how I was growing up. I, I worked uh, full-time uh, in terms of a weekend job and, and an after-school job. And I think I was one of the only kids I know that, that had that kind of setup. Uh, but growing up poor in a, in a wealthy town is something that I carry with me today because I always felt less than. And speaking of my father, he actually died in a, a motorcycle accident, so sudden passing. And then my brother, shortly after, died from a drug overdose. So, so that intro used to scare the hell out of me. And I never wanted to give anyone insight to my weaknesses and insecurities. But I often lead with that now. And, and as we get you know, going, I can tell you a little bit more about why. And so in terms of, do you mind if we just hang here for a little bit in terms of the way in which we define ourselves and our identity has a lot to do with what we achieve. How, like, what is your, what would be your tips for, you, you know, all, you know, it's great the way that you can, you know, there's many ways we can define ourselves. What would you say in terms of how we should and why we should? Yeah, so I've got a strong point of view on this. And I say this at uh, the dinners that I host. It's one of the things I open with. And I always say, you know, when we're going to go around and introduce ourselves. But what I'm going to challenge you to do is not talk about what you do for a living, where you work, what your title is, because at the end of the day, nobody cares, right? People care about who you are as a person. So my challenge to everyone and, and what I lead with is about who I am as a person. 
So I'll talk about my daughters. I'll talk about my family. I'll talk about what's important to me, my passions, my hobbies, things that are going to resonate, my struggles, right? And I think it's tough for many people to go there and, and, and be vulnerable, but I can, I can promise you that when you do let your guard down and let people in, uh, you build far more authentic relationships. And how far would you, do you have any guardrail when you think about things like, you know, are there also ways in which you think about positioning of things like your struggles and the challenges that you faced? How should people address those? Again, it all depends on the dynamic of where this is happening. So if I'm meeting a client for the first time uh, or, a, or a prospect for the first time, I'm probably not going to go super vulnerable. I'll, I'll lead with the basics, but I will ask questions to see if I can get them to go there. Uh, oftentimes it takes you leading with something vulnerable to get somebody to open that. And, and what I refer to is, you know, they're, they're, they're opening, they're becoming more uh, porous and, and being willing to share. So whenever I do these things, and when I do this even with my own team internally here at Ezra, I do something I either call like a sweet and sour or a personal professional check-in. And I model that and lead it intentionally so that um, if I share something vulnerable, it, it opens people's willingness to then go ahead and take the risk and do it as well. But if I just say, hey, everything's going really well and uh, you know, on to you, Jeff, chances are that Jeff's going to say that everything's going really well and it's going to be a quite bland response and, and, and you get almost nothing out of it. And, and just to switch gears a little bit here, you know, you talked to just so folks understand, you spend a lot of time with heads of HR from organizations. What would you say in terms of are there any kind of trends, patterns, things that you see in that group that jump out to you and that might be useful for people to know that might be sitting on the other side of this? So, uh, you know, you're thinking about either entering the workplace or maybe you're new into the workplace and you're wondering, you know, how you're perceived or how, you know, how the organization is thinking about you. So I think if I, there's probably two ways to look at that. So what are the priorities for global heads of HR? So I, I recently, as I mentioned, I, I think I do a series of dinners across the U.S. where I'm able to convene these global heads of HR, and it's really in service of them. That's part of my currency or my generosity is uh, pulling these executives together who are often inwardly focused within their own organization and bring them to talk about the issues that are important to them. So the things you're hearing a lot more about these days are workforce planning, which is getting insanely more complicated, particularly given just if I look at my own LinkedIn feed, I see stuff about ChatGPT and OpenAI and, and every other competitor rushing into this space and how it's going to eliminate so many roles and people are panicking, robots are going to take over their jobs. I don't know that that's, that's completely accurate, but the reality is there's going to be a lot of disruption with that. How can organizations automate, scale, create new jobs? That's a massive topic. One thing that you guys are phenomenal at, and I've gotten a chance to know Nickel, your CHRO, and talk about IBM, which you guys are, I think you're the pioneers in this space for the skills-based hiring uh, approach. And companies like Accenture are great at this as well. But really thinking about how do we have these skills-based assessments so that we are creating more opportunity for individuals that necessarily may not have a four-year degree, but are very capable of doing the job. DEIB is, is absolutely uh, a massive priority for all organizations, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's been a proven uh, fact that companies with more diverse thinking far outperform their peers that don't have as much diverse thinking. And so I think part of that whole idea around skills-based hiring has ramped up the ability to have a more diverse workforce because no longer do you need to have the, the funding for a four-year degree, but you can go in and 
take an online boot camp course and, and get a cert- certificate that demonstrates you're capable in AI and now uh, land a job at a company like IBM, of which you maybe wouldn't have otherwise had that opportunity. So those are probably like the three biggest priorities for these organizations. Of course, all the other things like employee experience, uh, managing a, a digital transformation, which is ongoing. How do we retain talent, particularly, you know, even coming out of COVID, it's it's still very tough for companies to retain top talent because there are so many other opportunities. There's uh, a number of different paths they can pursue, whether it's in their own organization or outside their organization or uh, in, in industries or roles that didn't exist a couple months ago. So there, there's a lot of different trends, but I'd say those are the the key or priorities that organizations are, are putting a focus on. Well, it's interesting that you point to this idea of the fact that sometimes technology, sometimes other changes in the environment are, are leading to, from an HR's perspective, to think through, okay, do we have the right mix of individuals that are required to, for us to perform and for us to perform at a high level and as an organization and the way in which that is, it sounds like that area is changing rapidly and it probably would serve individuals that are either in the workplace or thinking about the workplace to, for themselves to consider some of these changes as well and what it may mean for their own careers. Is it, you know, I think of certain, like you mentioned, like with ChatGPT in these areas, it does feel like, you know, it's, it may take away certain tasks that humans have been doing for a long time perhaps tasks that it seems like it, it's particularly well served in areas like customer service and some of these areas where you've got a lot of, you know, high areas of repetition, but then also then there feels like there's also the strategic aspect to it as well. That if those people are almost like taking away the grunt work so people can focus on the more strategic aspects. Now, does that come up in discussions with HR leaders in terms Absolutely. of- Absolutely. I just spoke to a CHRO this morning and I, this is the first time I've ever heard this. So it was quite interesting, but he is, uh, he is asked, uh, his direct reports to spend 25% of their time thinking about how, and, and not specifically chat GPT, but AI in general can help make them more effective in their roles. And then they report out on it each week. So it's a sharing of best practices around how they can acquire talent in a better way, how they can improve performance reviews through all these different channels of artificial intelligence. So there's a, there's so many different things that I think, you know, we haven't scratched the surface. And if we were to redo this in six months, I bet, you know, we'd be having a much different conversation because the pace is so rapid. In terms of at the individual level, if, if someone is looking to be hired, are there certain traits or there's certain patterns that you might unexpected things that people may not consider when they're going through the hiring process? Yeah. So I'll skip over all the obvious things, right? Because of course, it's going to be dependability, uh, communication, having a positive attitude and things like that. The things that I hear from global heads of talent acquisition is, uh, and, and this struck me, is ambition. So it used to be that people wanted someone that was going to come into an organization and be there for years and I, a career, right, uh, would, would be within an organization. And companies have come to the realization that's not the reality anymore. So they more now want to get a sense for how ambitious is this person to achieve the next promotion, to take on things greater than the role of which they're being hired for. So I think, you know, I'd say people who are looking for a role should be, uh, should come in and, and, have a willingness to share their desires and their ambitions for what they want to achieve, their, their dreams with 
a potential employer, knowing that it's safe, it's a safe space to say that that, that it may not all um, occur with that company you're interviewing you with. You know, emotional intelligence is something that I think companies are also looking a lot more at. The cultural fit um, is probably another way to to look at it, but. Does this person have the emotional intelligence to be a leader within the organization? Collaborative mindset. This is something that is coming up more and more because as, as companies are returning to office and and you know everybody's got a different policy. But at the end of the day, it's this idea of how do you collaborate in an asynchronous way now, which is becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, so that's that's something I'm hearing a lot about. So being able to demonstrate that you're you can be collaborative both while you're in person in an office, but also figuring out ways to do that remotely. Curiosity, I'd say, you know, one of the biggest fails is that so many times people go into an interview and I hear this all the time from hiring managers is that, you know, we did this uh, interview and it was 45 minutes and I asked so many questions and then giving the, the individual time to ask questions, they either had no questions or it was like a very basic question. I think having some some good questions around what's the future state of the business? What are the challenges? Where do you see opportunity for me to come in and grow this business? Having personal curiosity is huge. Hey, what 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 red flags do you see with me as a candidate? Or why why am I better a candidate than the others you've spoken to so far? You you'll learn a lot more on that question than you probably do on any of the others. So those are some of the, the things I think, you know, of course, people want to see someone that's creative, resilient, they're going to gauge you for adaptability, given all the constant change. But the, the first few that I mentioned are probably the big ones. Just to focus a minute on that, like you say, the degree to which you should be prepared to have that curiosity and asking questions. I'm guessing that, that you may even have some questions, you know, ideally you should be, or you should be tailoring your resume for each job. And as you go through or tell me if that's not the case. But if you are going through that process and maybe think there may be ways in which you, when you look at the organization, you start seeing certain things that raise questions. And maybe that could be a place as well to show, to make sure that, you know, you, you come across also as not just having a kind of rote list of questions that you're asking every hiring right. manager you meet, but, but also it's doing your homework. Um, you know, I, when I was interviewing for my last role, I looked through all the Glassdoor scores and I looked through the Glassdoor ratings and some of them were harsh. And I said, Tell me why this person said that, uh, right? And I came armed with very specific quotes because they were red flags to me. Is this a company I want to join? And so, you know, doing your homework around earning, like, hey, I've looked at your stock price uh, as gauged against your two biggest competitors. You're in a downward trend, and, and they're in an upward trend. You know, what do you attribute that to, and, and what is the CEO's strategy to, to get out of that? Most people aren't asking those questions and they're not hard, right? It's like you, you can pull up ticker symbols 10 minutes before an interview and have that. And I'm not suggesting do it 10 minutes before an interview. But the reality is this stuff is not hard to do. And, and a curious person would have done all of this sort of stuff. And, and I think people appreciate that. And then um, in terms of if you're working at an organization, you know, obviously, you know, especially even if it may be a big organization, it can be important to spend time fostering we talked about the you talk about the relationships and building those relationships within the enterprise would you say it's also important to build relationships outside and 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 how important is that and how should someone approach that area so the short answer is it's it's very important i wish i understood this more at an earlier stage in my life i wish i had put an emphasis on this i think when you're first starting in your career 
Your, your goal is to be connected to senior leaders in the organization. Uh, depending on the role you're in, I'm, I'm a, a salesperson. So I want to get connected to prospects. I want to get connected to clients and, and get you know deep and wide within those. But what I've been finding is through doing things like spending time on LinkedIn, going to local networking events, conferences, I'm, I'm getting a ton of insight through you know how to be more relevant in front of clients, how to be more effective in what I do. So in terms of then using platforms like LinkedIn to make these connections and to understand folks is, 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 is a great tip. When it comes to relationship building and going into that space, what, what advice would you have for folks? Well, I mean, for starters, I'd say prioritize it, right? Because I, 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 what I find is that people who have strong relationships in their life are generally happier people. Um, and you see this because people who have strong networks tend to have far longer lifespans. But again, I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if, if, if you believe in that simple concept that we can become more successful through and the help of with other people, then it's really crucial to our success, no matter what we want to achieve our lives, whether it's be a president of the United States, president of a company, is being more intentional about the people we want to spend time with. So to do this, we really have to have a list of those individuals and prioritize them. Because at the end of the day, you only have so much time in your day. Um, and so I look at it through this process of focus, uh, which is know your goals and being able to articulate them and share those goals with other people. Because once you can share your goals with other people, it's amazing how much more help uh, you can get for people, right? Because now they know how they can help you. Target, which is knowing the individuals of which are going to help you achieve those goals. Uh, and you can start at the constituent group level, like media, uh, HR leaders, name the constituent group, and then start to put companies and names to that. Uh, and then what I do is I prioritize them with a relationship quality score, a zero to five. Zero, I don't know this person. Five, best friend. And it gives you a sense for, am I advancing these relationships over time? The, the next piece is really defining your value or what your currency is. Why should this person want to take your call? Why should they want to meet with you, get lunch? Everybody's going to have a different value proposition and different currency. But I think if you can come up with a list of ways you can be helpful, that's going to make you far more successful. The, the other pieces align. Everyone has some sort of network, right? Who are the people within your network you can align to your goals that want to help you? And then the last piece is outreach. None of this means anything if you don't reach out to people. And what, what are the channels you can do that to engage people? So I've carved out a space for myself as being known as the guy that throws the best CHRO dinners. And that didn't start, like it didn't happen overnight, right? I, I pulled together one dinner and then built on it and did the next one and did the next one. And um, and now done north of 50 of these dinners. And so that's one of my channels. But simple things, I, I reach out, I create articles. So I interviewed uh, your CHRO for a piece around what the leading organizations are doing to close the skills gap. That wasn't something my company sponsored. I made up a topic and I said, I want to talk to the best uh, practitioners about this. And it can be a, something as simple as a phone call or, or whatever, right? But there, I would say, think about all the different ways you can reach out to people and come up with a playbook that you can action. Nice. I love that. I'm bringing this around. You started from a place of authenticity and honesty and um, I'm thinking in terms of that aspect. Let me ask you one final question. In terms of the setup and getting ready for this podcast, yeah, you introduced myself through somebody in IBM and, and we'd started con con conversing. 
I recall that I pretty much dropped off the face of the earth. I, I hit a busy patch at work and, it, and then I just, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. My simplicity goal is sometimes is not going that well. And so all of a sudden I find myself juggling, you know, more plates than I could manage. And it was one of those things, I think I woke up on a maybe Wednesday morning or something and go, oh my God, I told this guy I'd get back to him on a Monday and here we are sitting on Wednesday and I haven't responded. And he maybe, you know, how, like, and then it made me think about, oh, geez, what, what does he think about me and what I think about the priority of, you know, of, of us talking. And, but thankfully to your good self, you didn't just, you know, cut the connection. You, you kept the contact and we're here today. Any advice for when these things, when, you know, if you do hit these kind of road bumps or if something happens with the relationship, especially those where you think it's, you know, it's not necessarily that way you said earlier, where there may be a relationship where you start to feel that maybe it's one side or it's turning and those might be the yeah. ones where you need to walk away. But ones where you feel this is productive, I've just, you know, something, you know, we're humans and something happened that I wasn't expect, expecting. You know, look, I think the first thing is being honest and transparent. So sharing that, people understand that life gets in the way. Um, people have priorities you're juggling and, and so on. And so uh, the first is is not running from it and making excuses. Earlier in my career, I used to always want to make up an excuse. Someone got sick or something like that. And and now I just lead with it. And like, hey, you know, this last week has been crazy. Um, I just got back from vacation. I'm under an avalanche of emails. I, I'm, I apologize for uh, being so tardy in my reply. And and that second part is key, right? It's just a uh, mea culpa. So if you uh, if you know if you feel like you've overcommitted and maybe didn't live up to something you committed to, just own it. People are are more forgiving and understanding than I, I think people you, you want to believe. And the the person that has the ability and the integrity to just simply say it is is going to be well received almost all the time. Nice. Love that. Okay, well, I think that's a good place for us to to cut. Well, we could go on for hours here. You know, you've got so many tips and tricks which I think are useful regardless of where somebody is in an organization or where they are in their own career. So, I really appreciate you taking the time today to add your busy schedule to talk to us. But Frank, if people did want to know more about you and to understand the organizations they work for, what what would you recommend? Well, first of all, uh, find me on LinkedIn. Frank Kanju. Yeah, the organization that I work for, uh, which we're really passionate about and what I'm passionate about, uh, as you can hear, I'm, I'm passionate about helping people. And so uh, Ezra is a coaching business that helps to make coaching scalable and affordable to everyone where it used to be cost prohibitive and, and coaching was only available to executives. Our, our mission is to really bring it to everyone. And so I'm quite passionate about the idea of helping people, whether it's through charitable means um, and professionally, I believe coaching is one of the most underutilized and most powerful channels to get the best out of individuals. So uh, that, that's a bit about what I do. Well, appreciate Thank, um, you, you spending your time. Thanks. This is Frank Congio. And this has been the Business School podcast. Uh, where we discuss emerging trends in business and areas of business that you may not cover if you've been to business school. Mm-hmm.